Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back here on the Chase Thomas podcast, where I am now joined by one of my favorite NFL writers, authors, journalists. He's a man of many hats. It's Gary Myers. Once a giant author, go pick up. Once a giant, go pick up Brady versus Manning. You'll be smarter. You'll be glad you did because Gary is great and has been great at what he has done for a long time. Not to date you a little bit, Gary, but I've been reading you for a long time and uh, very excited for, to read Once a Giant. How are you, sir? Don't tell me you're another one. Of those. I've been reading you since I'm a kid. I mean, <laughs> I'm 32, Gary. And you have been reading me since you're a kid. I, I didn't want to say that, but yeah, I, I just right. I think that checks out, sir. That's okay. That means you've been writing a long time, and that's the goal, right? To write yeah, a long I, time. If I entertained and educated you along the way, all about mm-hmm. it. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, um, before we even get into some NFL Super Bowl stuff and things like that, what um, what can you uh, shed light on uh, with Once a Giant and uh, what um, what made you want to write this book and kind of um, the lead up to it, uh, conversations, why you think Giants fans will really, really find um, this book interesting. What what can you tell us about it so far? Yeah, Chase, it's not only Giant fans. I think it's mm-hmm. football fans or just people in general because the book is just chock full of, of human interest stories. And uh, I, I was motivated to write a book about life after football. Mm-hmm. I think that's such an important issue. And, you know, I was trying to think that I want to write about, you know, I wanted to write about players from the generation of the, J- the Giants 86 Super Bowl team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, late 80s, mid to late 80s, early 90s. And I was trying to decide whether to just pick players around the league from that era and and write about them, you know, trying to find the best stories I could or to write about a team. Mm-hmm. And I thought just approaching it, writing about one team was, was the best way to do it because then the stories would connect. And um, the 86 Giants, by far the most beloved and popular of the Giants' four Super Bowl teams that was – Probably, in my opinion, one of the five best uh, teams of the Super Bowl era. Mm. 
and you know, just really filled with big names, Parcells and Belichick, Sims, Taylor, Banks, Carson, you know, Jim Bird, et cetera. So, um, and I already knew a lot of these players. Mm-hmm. So I was able to reconnect with them and th- the stories about their life after football, you know, many, many heartbreaking stories about mm-hmm. some of the challenges that they're facing and trying to overcome. But then also a lot of heart uh, heartwarming stories about how these guys formed a brotherhood in 1986, as most championship teams do. Mm. But what's unusual about this team is that the bond is still remained strong, you know, mm. 37 years later, and they're there to help each other uh, when they realize one of their teammates, you know, need people to rally around them. So I didn't want to write 300 pages of heartbreaking stories, and I easily could have. Mm. So I balanced it off with what a cool team this is. And, um, how they really still care for each other. I love that. I love that. Um, well, um, go get ready for that, uh, NFL fans. And again, you don't have to be just a Giants fan uh, to enjoy Once a Giant. And um, again, go pick up Brady versus Manning, the catch. There's just all kinds of great stuff. Um, and I'm going to push you to get this uh, Falcons in there. We've got seen a lot of Giants <laughs> behind you, seen a lot of 49ers. I need a, I need a Falcons book. If you had to do a Falcons book, right now who would it what would it be what story would it be the 20 to 3 comeback would it be um i don't know what what could it be for you if you had to think about it well, well on the spot here gary well i think i would write about how disaster strikes the falcons when they get into the super bowl yeah whether it was the night before their first super bowl mm-hmm. with um eugene robinson uh causing that huge distraction mm-hmm. um, to the second time, 28 to three. I probably put more of an emphasis on the 28 to three and what it was like to be in the game and on the sidelines that day as that leads slowly and then quickly start to slip away. It's been written so much from the Patriot point of view, but mm-hmm. uh, to be on the other end of, of the greatest, I don't want to, uh, but um, the greatest uh, wasting of of the you know of a twenty five point lead in a huge game with only eighteen minutes to go. What did that feel like? Was the desperation, anxiety? Uh, actually, that might not be a bad book. Who knows? There you go. I, I'm not asking for a forward here uh, in it. If you end up doing this book, Gary, but some kind of little shout out to the podcast. That'd be cool. Right, we'll, we'll see. Um, I love it. Well, speaking of the Super Bowl and memories, and this involves Kyle Shanahan because he was the offensive coordinator um, mm-hmm. of that Falcon Super Bowl team. Um, when you go back and you're thinking about this game and what ultimately happened here, Kyle Shanahan, another double digit Super Bowl lead that does not result uh, in a Niners title. How much of that is just chalked up to just bad luck and circumstantial? And how much of it is just you know, there's something about the way he calls games. There's something about the Kyle Shanahan offense that uh, makes it more likely that something like this can happen. Where where do you fall on that uh, days removed from the Super Bowl now? Well, this 10-point deficit that they squandered was different than the others because that this was in the, in the second quarter. Mm-hmm. The other ones were, you know, the one to the Rams in the NFC Championship game was in the fourth quarter, the 28-3, to obviously. They had a double-digit lead in, in the fourth quarter. Um, mm. They had a double a ten-point lead against the Niners the first time they played them in the Super Bowl four years ago. So this was a lot earlier, but I, I think 
they should have had a much bigger lead at the half than 10-3. Uh, the McCaffrey fumble was a killer uh, on the first series, and although Pacheco evened it out with, with his fumble, I, I really felt that McCaffrey's fumble cost the 49ers an opportunity to make an early statement in the game. Um, Kansas City's defense didn't come close to stopping them on that first drive until they, they forced a fumble by ripping the ball out of McCaffrey's hands. And it was so unusual because he's great with, with ball control. He doesn't give it up very often. But what I think you can blame Shanahan is, is, is not pounding McCaffrey enough in, in the second half. I think Elijah Mitchell is an excellent backup running back. At times, it seemed interchangeable during the course of the season when Mitchell was healthy, you know, whether it was he or McCaffrey in the game, it just seemed that their running uh, game couldn't be stopped. Um, I, I know he's um, been really subjected to a lot of second guessing on mm. uh, taking the ball to start overtime. And, you know, I really hadn't thought it through that much until that happened because it's the first time since they changed the rules, I believe, mm-hmm. that it's an overtime playoff game. When you get right down to it, Chase, you, you want to you want to kick off in overtime for a couple mm-hmm. of reasons. One, when you get the ball, you know you're guaranteed to getting the ball, and so you know what you need to do. And you see in, in college overtime, whoever wins the toss always kicks off. Mm-hmm. It's much different. They start the 25-yard line, but you want to know – Do you need a field goal to win the game? Do you need a a touchdown uh, to uh, to tie the game? Do you need a touchdown to win the game? Do you want to think about going for a two-point conversion? So I think it's much better to have the the ball second, despite Shanahan thinking, well, if they matched each other on on each team's first possession, then the third possession could could potentially win the game. Mm -hmm. I think that was thinking too far ahead. The second reason I think you have to take – you have to kick it off is when you get the ball, if you're trailing, you're now in four down territory, no yeah. matter where you are on the field. So the rules are different. When you got the ball the first time, I mean, San Francisco was ready to kick mm-hmm. uh, until that holding call on third down. And then a field goal would have beaten them. Well, when, when Kansas city had the ball down three points, they had to go for it on fourth down. Yeah. And even when they were, I think they were like in around the 35, 40 yard line their own, when they went for it on fourth down, they may not might not have done that if that was their first possession, or if San Francisco hadn't scored on their first possession. So I think giving Mahomes four downs all the way down the field is a tremendous advantage for Kansas City. Now you never want to get to fourth down, but you know that if you do and you have third and long, you can play pick up half the yardage and then go for it on fourth down. So I, I think you'll see teams going forward now, anytime that situation comes up and if they win the toss, they'll always kick off. Well, I think too, what stood out to me that, I mean, I said to my wife as there, and I was like, I'm surprised he's not going for it on fourth and three uh, at the 10 yeah. where you just yeah. know you have Mahomes going and four down territory um, in this situation. And I just was surprised that Kyle was bold earlier um, in the game and earlier on that drive. And then when you're so close to not do a fourth and three, because it's just like you're still going to have to make Mahomes go 90 yards. Um, yeah, I always see this. In defense yeah. of him in that situation, mm-hmm. the, um, the the Chiefs had moved it down the field on their last possession of regulation yeah. to get the tying field goal. And um, 
I think that the the Niners defense was gassed a little bit at that point, mm-hmm. which may may have contributed to why he took the ball to start overtime. He yeah. didn't want to put his defense right back on the field. Um, other than that, you know, I agree with you that you're facing Mahomes, and you don't want to put him in a position that if he gets a touchdown, the game's over. But maybe in the big picture, he looked at it like the Niners defense had done a really good job. Yeah. Most of the game stopping him until that last drive. And even then, you know, they, they kept him out of the end zone mm-hmm. at the end of regulation, what I'm talking about. So there's a lot of things that went into it. You can say, well, you know, he had to, he had to make an evaluation in real time. But these are situations that should be thought through. So you're not making that decision under pressure. And I was really surprised to find out that Kyle said that, you know, he discussed it with assistant coaches. When regulation was over, he had the assistant coaches go to the, the different position groups, uh, were spoken to by the position coaches, and explained about the overtime rules. You can't leave it to a situation then yeah. when you know all hell is breaking loose on the sidelines and you're about to play overtime in the Super Bowl. These are things that had to be drilled into the players' heads. Not mm-hmm. that it would have changed the players' approach to anything, but you want them knowing what the rules are. Yeah, when it's the first time it's ever come up, and you have a guy like Kyle Juszczyk, a Harvard guy who's a really smart guy, admitting he didn't know what the rules were until he looked on the scoreboard. Yeah, he was informing the fans what the rules were. were did you already know about this, or were you watching the clock take down? Like, what are y'all doing? What's happening here? Wh- which one was oh, it for you? That, it would have been the end of the first quarter. In mm-hmm. you know, I knew it would go to the second quarter. Okay, that they had to get a full possession out of it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was emphasized by the announcers. I, I'm going to have to go back and watch and see what they Nancy were. Did. It was kind of like one of those. If y'all didn't know, it was later on because I think they realized Roma realized that. I mean, hey, time's running out. And I'm sure there are a lot of people at home. If <laughs> the casual fans who don't know that the clock, it doesn't matter if it runs out, that we should say something here. But I think even a lot of uh, smart sports people were like, wait, what? Is that how this works? Because it wasn't being treated as this is quarter number one on the broadcast for, for yeah, the Yeah, no, duration. you are right about that. Um, mm-hmm. It seemed there was more of a sense of urgency uh, about the clock. Yeah. Um, but Which it, brings the it, point. Why do they need a clock if there's going to be, if every team well, gets possession? You, you know what I mean? I'll tell you why I think in a second. Okay. Um, when, when Bill Vinovich, the, the referee, and I think it was Mahomes and Fred Warner who came out for mm-hmm. the talk. I don't know if it was like the six guys on each team uh, like they did at the beginning of the game. But if you remember, he said, this is now playing like a, re- a new game. We're starting a new game. Mm-hmm. So in, in that case, it, it makes you think that, okay, the clock only really matters because they're going to flip the field at the mm-hmm. end of the first quarter. And then if it happens to go a full two quarters, then the clock becomes relevant as a cl- as it's winding down at the end of the second quarter because then the third quarter will start like a normal third quarter starts. It's not going to be a carryover mm-hmm. from the second quarter. So that's where I think the clock would come into effect. Hmm. Um, if it wasn't being played in a dome where – which way you're going really doesn't matter and you're playing outside where wind might've been a factor, mm-hmm. then the clock would matter because maybe you're trying to flip the field to get the advantage of going with the, with the wind uh, in the second quarter. So that that's why they play with the clock. But 
I, I think you're right. It wasn't hammered home on the broadcast that, okay, don't worry about the clock mm. because we're going to the second quarter here. And even when I was watching the interviews, I think it was on NFL Network after the game, that when they had either Andy or, or Patrick on mm-hmm. and one of the guys was saying, you know, were you getting nervous because the clock was running down? That led me to believe that the announcer, whoever it was, wasn't aware of the rules. I mean, do you remember mm-hmm. a few years ago? I mean, it was more than a few. It was probably 10 years ago that the Eagles got into an overtime game mm-hmm. and McNabb admitted that he wasn't yes. sure of the rules. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. remember what the confusion was, if he thought the game was a, went a full 15 minutes. I think or, that's what it was. I think because it, it was a regular season game against Washington, right? If I'm remembering that correctly. Yeah. I think that's what it was, but I do remember. Yeah, he didn't know what it was. Yeah, yeah, he thought overtime maybe went a full fifteen minutes. Mm-hmm. I don't remember exact, but he did admit he he didn't know the rules. Whatever yeah. they, he didn't understand. And uh, I would venture to guess that all the Chiefs knew the rules because Mahomes even said that the coaches had been drilling it into him since the beginning of the playoffs. Because this rule wasn't just for the Super Bowl; it was for any playoff game. So Andy made sure the players were aware of it. Shanahan didn't, and that, that's really surprising to me because he appears to be a coach that covers every bases, every base rather, with his players, every potential scenario like Belichick, and and the best coach of game management ever was Parcells, and you know mm-hmm. that his players would have known what the rules were. So I'm really surprised that uh, the Niners players are saying they they were not aware of it, and and even more surprised that Shanahan. If he didn't make a big point of it going into the playoffs, that with the two weeks to prepare for the Super Bowl, that he didn't make sure his players knew what the rules were. Um, When you look at next year here, Gary, the Cowboys obviously going all in. Mike Zimmer's back as DC. You tweeted about like, it's kind of wild. And it really is. Two of the iconic brands in the NFL in Dallas and San Francisco have not won a Super Bowl in 1994 and 1995. Uh, between the two and yet they've had a lot of success over the last few years like obviously Kyle Shanahan's built a juggernaut mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, Dak Prescott, top five, top seven quarterbacks, somewhere in that uh, grouping. The offenses um, has been fantastic year over year. Um, you obviously have a superstar edge guy in Micah Parsons. Um, they've had the talent. They've been right there. Um, you win the division this year and you thought things might be a little bit different. 
you're Dallas um, with Philadelphia falling off a little bit. But when you look at those two, I see when I'm thinking about the hierarchy of the NFC next year, I think it's still a wait and see with Philadelphia. I think it's San Francisco who came out, I believe, as the betting favorite to win the Super Bowl going into next year. But when you think about Mike McCarthy in this year and Kyle Shanahan uh, coming off this Super Bowl loss, which of the two do you think is under more more uh, eyeballs, more of a hot seat type situation between the two? Well, I I think that you'd have to say it's McCarthy. Hmm. Uh, At least, you know, Shanahan is at least getting the Niners to the Super Bowl. And he needs to get over the hump, obviously. And he's a young guy. And I I would venture to guess that at some point he's going to win a Super Bowl with the Niners. Mm. You know, when I tweeted that the other day, the Niners haven't won a Super Bowl since 94, the Cowboys since 95. But at least the 49ers have been to three of them since then. Mm -hmm. The Cowboys, this is mind-boggling. And then the Niners have been to a bunch of NFC Championship games that they've lost. So at least they're right on the edge a bunch of times. The Cowboys haven't even been to an NFC Championship game since the last one they were at. I mean, since the last Super Bowl they got to in 95. They haven't made it past the divisional round of the playoffs in what is now almost 30 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, how incredible is that when you think about that the Cowboys are on national TV the maximum number of times every year. They're talked about as a Super Bowl contender every year. And they haven't even been to a conference championship game. I mean, Jacksonville has been to a couple. Mm. Uh, Carolina has been to two Super Bowls. And these teams didn't come into the league until 95. So I think it was it was 95, not 96 that came in. Mm. At 95. Um, so, I mean, as far as Shanahan, Shanahan now has got a label of can't winning the big one and mismanaging games, which – you know, I, I can't say it's unfair because of what his history has been, you know, going back to 28 to three, like we talked about earlier. Um, and, you know, he wasn't the head coach of that team, but he was the offensive coordinator and he was calling pass plays when he should have been eating up the clock with running plays. So it, it goes much as much on his resume as it does on Dan Quinn's. As far as McCarthy is concerned, uh, Chase, I, I'm really surprised that Jerry Jones kept him. I mean, hmm. what's what's the point other than he likes him? McCarthy's happy to have that job, and he's not going to give him pushback with Jerry's involvement. Yeah, I really thought, and I thought this since the end of October that Bill Belichick would be the Cowboys coach hmm. in 2024 because I knew the Cowboys were going to lose in the first or second round because they always do, <laughs> and it seemed like it was very clear that Belichick was not going to make it past this season in New England. Yeah, he's a win now coach. He needs 15 more to pass Shua. He desperately wants to do that. And just as important to him is winning a, a Super Bowl without Brady because Brady won one without him. And now everybody says, oh, that just proves that it was all Brady in New England and not Belichick. That's just not fair. I mean, what they did apart from each other has nothing to do with what they did together. And um, I thought it was mostly Belichick early in that dynasty. And certainly it was Brady, you know, the second half of that dynasty. But you know, Jerry Jones is in is in his early 80s. And, you know, I hope he went, lives another 25 years. But when you get to that point in your life, uh, and I remember Leon Hess when he was with the Jets, on the Jets, he, you know, told the, told the players, um, I'm 80 years old and I want I want to win now or I want results now. Mm. So he's 81 or 82, and he has a team that is built to win now. Why wouldn't he want to win now coach in Belichick? How often do you get a chance to hire 
the best coach in NFL history. And yeah. it kind of goes back to when he hired Parcells in, in 2003 that, you know, Bill at that point, a lot of people considered him the best coach ever, him and Lombardi. And now Belichick has passed everybody because he's won six Super Bowls. But, you know, Jerry brought in Parcells, a very strong personality to turn things around. He was trying to get the funding um, for a new stadium in Arlington. And, he, you know, they had been three, five and 11 seasons in a row. And who better to bring it in than the greatest fix-it guy in NFL history mm. was Parcells. And mission accomplished because he made the Cowboys relevant again, even though he couldn't get him to the Super Bowl. Now you, you fast forward to 2024, and you have a team that has to win now with the roster, the way it's presently constructed. Yeah. Uh, M- McCarthy got to one Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers, you know, one of the great quarterbacks in NFL history. So why would he want to run it back with McCarthy then claim – we're all in. I mean, is all in bringing back Mike Zimmer? I don't. I don't think so. And yeah, you know, you have two head coaches now. Um, just like you had McCarthy and Quinn. Quinn, you know, was the coach for the greatest collapse in Super Bowl history when he was with Atlanta. Zimmer not never got to a Super Bowl with Minnesota. I know he's well liked in um, in Dallas from his time there. Who knows? Maybe if Belichick went there, he would have hired him as his defensive coordinator, but bringing McCarthy back to me makes no sense. I just, I think with Belichick, the cool thing would have been New York, the final full circle thing. I mean, you talk about a team ready to win now. It's the Jets, like the Jets with Aaron Rodgers. It would never happen. I thought you were talking about the Giants. No, the Giants, I just don't feel like Daniel Jones is a Belichick guy. I don't think that would be a situation he would want to walk into. I just feel like the the Jets for a two-year window to break Shula's record. You know what you have in Aaron Rodgers and company. The defense is still solid. Good offensive line when they're healthy. Like, you can kind of... I mean, the, the history there, obviously, with the Jets decades ago, but to stick it to the Patriots a little bit on the way out. I don't know. I, I was kind of quietly pulling for pulling for the Jets, and I also, uh, me being a Falcons guy, I just never bought into the, the Falcons fit ever working just because yeah. it would require too much reorganizational uh shuffling that i just don't think was ever on the table and i i was surprised that that was the the favorite form because i'm like i just i don't see that working i didn't see that as a match well it was they're the only favorite form because they're the only ones that interviewed him yeah nobody else stepped up i think the whole thing about belichick one wherever he went haven't want to redo the front office i think that was overrated a little bit I, hmm. I don't think i think that he just wanted a coach yeah now i i i definitely believe that rich mckay was probably not in favor of it, even though mm-hmm. after they hired Raheem Morris, Arthur Blank reassigned Rich McKay back to the business side of it and then hiring mm-hmm. a lot of Blank's you know, non-football affairs. McKay was on the business. I didn't even realize that he was back on the football side until yep. this whole search came up. But he, for the best of my recollection, you know, when Thomas Dimitrov was there, I think that McKay kind of stayed out of the football decision-making. Mm-hmm. It's well, course- always been a collaborative and there's a reason that they use the word collaborative a lot in that uh, introductory press conference with Terry Fontenot and mm-hmm. Raheem Morris is collaboration, I think, is just a very strong thing that blank in this front office because there's a lot of moving parts with whatever it's called, the, the acronym MBSE or whatever it's called. Uh, there's just a lot of moving parts and new faces that it, they introduced in these. Pro- and Rich McKay was obvious was actually there uh, for that. What was the thing, a lot of moving parts with what? 
with the organizational structure where there's just you have to it's never been clear the last couple of years who's the final decision maker right uh-huh. like it's just one of those i it depends on who you ask <laughs> is uh running the show in atlanta it just feels like no one's ever gotten a straight answer because i mean terry fontenot wasn't in that exit press conference uh with the firing of arthur smith it was rich mckay and arthur blank and then mm-hmm. terry fontenot's back announcing raheem morris and he said so it's just it just depends on the month here, Gary, uh, yeah. for Atlanta in terms of how things are running. Yeah, as far as is, and that's interesting. Um, as far as the Jets are concerned, I think there's still a lot of hatred in Belichick's yeah. heart for the Jets. Um, now, I want to make it clear: when he left the Jets, it was mm-hmm. before Woody Johnson was named the owner. It was still like one or two weeks before Johnson. At mm. that point, it was Woody Johnson versus Charles Dolan. I don't think that Belichick um, wanted to work for either one of them mm. and he probably done his research on both of them. And he, he wanted to go to new England and, and work for Kraft, And it was yeah. obviously a great career move. I think it worked out a little bit, Gary. Yeah, <laughs> it did. Um, but as, as far as him coming back now and, and working for Woody Johnson, I, I just, I just don't see that. Um, yeah. So what we'll, we'll end here. Where do you do you think we yeah. see Belichick next year? Do you, you think mm-hmm. he gets another job? And where do you think it is? Where's your prediction on February fourteenth? Well, yeah, I, I definitely think. Let's put it this way: he definitely wants to coach mm-hmm. next year. I think the only concern about him not coaching is that, you know, obviously not counting the Patriots, there were seven openings. Yeah, this year, and he only, if you want to say, came close at a job. It was only uh, Atlanta. Washington yeah. apparently showed some late interest, but it never got to the point that he was interviewed. So if the seven teams that were looking for head coaches this year uh, didn't show any interest in him, what's going to change next year? Yeah. Now, maybe he's got a little repairing of his image to do and to get the word out there that, no, I don't want to come in and, and, and basically blow up the front office and bring all my people in. I just want to come in and coach. Yeah. He's, he's going to do the podcast hits where he's going to have to talk about like, yeah. that's not what I want to do anymore at this point in my career. I just want to go. Yeah. So where could it be? I'll go back and say it, it can still be Dallas. Uh, yeah. Nothing will have changed. They're going to Cowboys will win the division this year. They'll lose in the wild card or the divisional round. McCarthy who's in the last year of his contract will get fired and, and Jerry will have to decide, do I want to go with Belichick or do I want to start over? bring a young guy in, bring another failed head coach somewhere. And you can't call Belichick a failed head coach. You mm-hmm. can't call him a recycled head coach. The guy wins six Super Bowls. The other one to keep a really uh, a good look on are, are the Giants. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got love in his heart for the Giants, even though they beat him twice in the Super Bowl. And although it was Wellington Mara that he was had all those fond feelings for, John Mara, I think, is a terrific owner despite – what fans might think he, he wants to win and he's so passionate about winning. Um, but he sometimes has just made the wrong decision on his general manager and his coach. I think he got the general manager right this time. We'll, we'll find out about Dable. I mean, a mm. year ago he was coach of the year. Then he has a really bad season and a lot of his coaches left and you hear that he's tough to work for. Well, if he's had another, you know, five and whatever their record was, I, I, I lose tr- five and 12, six. And I think 11. it was five and 12. Yeah. yeah. 
17 game seasons completely throwing me off on schedule. I know they need to get up to 18. We need the 18. We know it's coming. Just add the 18 so it's easy to remember. Let's just get to that. Because I don't think that's good for the players. But um, if the Giants have a really bad season and there's a lot of turmoil, then, you know, they will be fired. And there's going to be a lot of of pressure, I think, and a lot of momentum for the Giants to bring in Belichick. And I I would not be – and I think he'd rather come here than Dallas – Um, here, I mean, in New York, just because of how he feels about the giant organization. Although going to Dallas might give him a better opportunity to win and to win a Super Bowl. But we got to see what the Giants do in the draft, what their personnel looks like. But I I do think he'll have opportunities next year. And he should have had them this year. I mean, if if an owner wants to win, how how can you not at least show interest in Belichick? It doesn't make sense. Well, I think what we learned with Rabel not getting another job, with Belichick being out and Pete Carroll being out, it was almost like a subliminal message of like this, the era of the coach being the the leader in of the football organizational structure, I think might be behind uh, uh, just might be an era, a long gone era because a bygone era where everyone wants collaboration. I think if we, we took notes, Gary, on what uh, every new coaching hire said the most and described it collaboration between the yeah. GM, the coach yeah. and everything else. I think a lot of these owners and that's just the new thing is they want the uh, everybody to work hand in hand they don't want a power struggle they don't want the coach to be the final decision maker on everything and i think it you overlook the great coaches in Vrabel and belichick where uh they should there's a reason that they had that final decision making uh capability for years and years and won a lot of football games that way won super bowls and i think you you sometimes overthink it by this collaboration front and it's like belichick should be coaching somewhere it's silly Uh, absolutely i think like in seattle Mm. It, was a coll- it was a collaboration between Pete Carroll and, and John Schneider. I, I don't know what the structure was in Tennessee, especially with, you know, Rand Carthon being the, the new GM. Mm. Uh, maybe the, the, the power that, um, that Vrabel had in the past had started to dissipate. The other thing is, I, I know people are making Vrabel out to be like the next great head coach, or maybe that he is a great head coach. Mm. I didn't really see it in Tennessee. Hmm. Uh, I, I I was not shocked that he didn't get another job right away. I think he will get another job in the next year or so, but it, it's not like, oh, Mike Vrabel's available. We got to go hire him. I didn't feel that way about him. I, I, you know, his, I mean, his, his teams in Tennessee were more like grinded out teams, you know, real throwback teams. Um, they weren't winning the way um, teams are winning now by throwing the ball and, his last couple of seasons there were not great. So I, I do think he's a good coach and he'll get another shot at it. But I, I think he's got to modernize his approach to offense somewhat. I also just think he'd be really good at college. I think he'd be a good recruiter. I yeah, think he would yeah. be good leading a power two program, whether that's in the Big Ten or SEC. I think Vrabel would do really, really well in the college game. Um, Gary, what can the good folks check out from you all across the Internet? How do they support and buy your book? Once a giant and everything else. What uh, how do we how do we sell some more books as we wrap up here tonight, Gary? Yeah, no, that'd be great. Um, my book, Once a Giant, came out in September. It's doing really, really well, which I appreciate. It's available on Amazon, um, Barnes and Noble online. You know, basically it's like 10,000 places online you can get mm-hmm. it. And, you know, fortunately, there's still some bookstores open around the country, Barnes & Noble and, you know, a lot of independent bookstores. I love independent bookstores and, yep. and supporting them. I've done a bunch of book signings there and we sold a bunch of books that way. Um, 
Yeah, so you you can find it anywhere. And like I said at the beginning, Chase, you, you don't have to be a Giant fan, really. It, it's, yep. If you like that era and are interested in how players from that era before the concussion protocols came into effect, before they're protected by five years of health insurance, um, after they retired, back then it was 12 to 18 months. Um, they, they really dealt with different parameters and, and protocols back then that has made life as they're now in their late fifties to early sixties or late sixties, it's made life, you know, full of challenges, both from a mental health aspect and, you know, financially and, and physically. And there's really some really amazing stories in this book. Go buy it today. Once a giant, go buy Brady versus Manning, go buy the catch. There's all kinds of great books, <laughs> uh, but go buy, go support Gary. One of the best NFL writers uh, each and every day. Gary, this was a pleasure as always. Uh, we'll have to do this again soon. Anytime, kids. I always like talking. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.